Welcome to On Air with Legacy Theatre, where you can take theatre with you wherever you go. Brought to you by LegacyTheatreCT.org. My name is Lauren Rosenay, and I am the Legacy Theatre's company manager. Today on the show, we have the legend, Mary Wilson. Mary is a founding member of the Supremes, which is the greatest female vocal group of all time. And there she we are. She's also in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a best-selling author, and she is also a musical theater performer. Hi, Mary. Hi. Hi. How are you, Lauren? I am good. How are you? Can I just start off by saying that you look absolutely beautiful? Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> like, jaw-droppingly stunning. Thank you very much. Where are you located, Lauren? I am in Connecticut. Okay, cool. I just did a video, a virtual video yesterday for Harlem Serves Up, and it was shown, um, it was shown, where was it shown? In Connecticut and New York and New Jersey. Wow. So I don't know if you've got, if you, it, it's called Harlem Serves Up, and it shows all the different restaurants and things like that, and I and a lot of other artists were on it. So, uh, yeah, anyway, there you go. So, I'm sure some people know the story, and I'm sure some people don't, but just to start off, can you talk about how the Supreme started? Oh, sure. Uh, well, you know, I've written three books, and my latest book, Supreme Glamour, kind of gives all of the history about the Supremes and how we started, but just as on a brief introduction to it, in case some people are, like, too young and they don't know who we were, uh, we started back in 1959, and uh, Scott, it seemed like a long time ago. Anyway, 1959, at the age of, I think we were like 13, 14 years old, and um, we were discovered by, uh, put together, I should say, by a group of guys called the Primes, P-R-I-M-E-S, it's called. And uh, they wanted a girl group. And so Florence Ballard, who was, uh, uh, she, her sister was, was dating one of the guys, something like that. And she said, oh, my sister, Flo can sing, and Florence and I had met in school, so she uh, told them about me, and then one of the guys knew someone who knew Diane who lived across the street. They went across the street from, her, from, from where I lived and asked her if she wanted to join, uh, and that's kind of how we got together, because we went over to the guy's apartment, which our parents would have killed us had they known we were going to these guys' apartment, right? And uh, so they asked us if we could, you know, sing uh, any songs, and Florence started singing one of Ray Charles's songs, uh, you know, the night time is the right time, and uh, Diane started singing one of the Drifters songs, There Goes My Baby, uh, and oh, also, there was another girl, uh, we had four members in the beginning, and uh, her name was Betty, she was dating one of the guys, so she was there, and she chimed in, and that's how the, we started singing, but we were called the Primettes. Because in those days, girls, you know, you, the gender was very important. So X, L's, like the Chantels, the Shirelles, the Ronettes, uh, you know, donated uh, gender there. So that's how we started. <laughs> and so you were in the most famous and successful female vocal group in history. What does that feel like? <sighs> Well, it feels great. Are you kidding? Now, what, what am I? I'm 76 years old and uh, been in the business for almost 60 years. I think it is 60 years. I'm not sure. <laughs> so to still be able to say that, you know, I, I'm singing and, 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 and people hear our music all the time. They listen to it. I mean, I was in the grocery store the other day with my mask on, of course. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and they were playing I Hear Symphony. 
And I'm like, oh my God, that's us. <laughs> so it feels great to, to know that you were a part of, of something so fantastic. Because see, back in the day, Lauren, um, when we started singing, Black people were not really uh, revered like they are nowadays, you know, in terms of music, you know, the James Browns and the, uh, uh, you, know, you know, I mean, you know, people just, we were just Black people. Uh, so, you know, it, for us to start singing and three little Black girls uh, daring to dream in, in the, let me see, it was the late 50s and early 60s, that was pretty much an impossible dream. So, uh, yeah, it feels great. It feels great to still be alive, you know, especially during this COVID-19 thing going on. Uh, so that was it, yeah. <laughs> what was the moment for you when you realized to yourself, I've made it? Oh, uh, well, that was, you know what, that was many years later, because as I said, we started singing at the age of 13 or 14, something like that. And we, we were just doing record hops, dances uh, in the community, and uh, we didn't go to Motown Records until, what, 1961, and we got a contract then. It took a while. It didn't happen overnight. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> and uh, what, what it was was because we had been singing, you know, around Detroit, Michigan, just doing little, you know, little singing gigs and things like that. And when we finally went to Motown in 61, signed our contact, contract, and our record didn't become, our first hit record didn't come out until 1964. So that was, you know, that was a long time in between that we had just going around gigging and doing, you know, hanging out in these wonderful places. Um, so it, it wasn't an overnight thing was what I'm trying to say. But when it finally happened in 1964, oh my God, we, we knew that we had made it when we had that first number one record. Uh, it was it was amazing because back then, you know, you had uh, the, the British invasion was coming in uh, and all these male groups, you know what I'm saying, they were out there. But our our first five records were number one, million selling, selling records. And that was amazing for black people back in those days because we, you know, we were at the bottom of the totem pole. Um, so for us being, and, and women, you know, not just being black, but being women in those days, because it was a man's world, like James Brown said, <laughs> you know. Uh, so us, for us to be to do that, to accomplish that with the Elvis Presley, the Beatles, and all those all those males out there, we were the only girl groups who had the five number one million selling records. And this was amazing because as black people, like I said, the Civil Rights Bill had only just been passed in 1964 when our hit record came out. So this was an amazing feat. It wasn't just something that today everyone gets hit records. In fact, they're outselling us all over the world and doing everything, but we did it all in the 60s. Um, I, I just did um, this week um, um, on Sirius XM radio, an all girl group hour, and I was the DJ. Wow. And I just spoke with Sarah Dash, uh, 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 Patty LaBelle, the Blue Bell a moment ago. I, uh, some of the Dixie Cups just uh, emailed me and said, what time is the show going to be on? I'm like, I don't know, but it's on all week. Uh, Monday, this Monday through Saturday, so it's on all week. So um, anyway, so that, that's that story about the girl groups. So a lot of our viewers are theater fans, so I would love to touch on some of your musical theater experience. So you are in Beehive, and I know you were in a few other shows. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Yes. Yeah. I've been in, in quite a few musicals, 
And Beehive was one of my main ones that I absolutely uh, had so much fun because I had an opportunity to to be the host of the of the show, and we toured. I, I originally did uh, the shows there in uh, uh, Stage West. It was in Canada. I'm trying to think of Calgary. I think it was Calgary. Uh, and I was there for quite a while do, uh, doing that show with some wonderful, wonderful uh, performers, girls. And we all played, uh, you know, we played the Crystals, the Chantels, the Shirelles, the Ronettes. And there were some girls in there who did, they, they played the Shangri-Las, you know, so we were, we did all that. And then I did the Beehive, I think it was in um, Atlanta, Georgia. And while I'm talking, before I go on to the other theater, theatrical things I've done, uh, which is not many, but I mean, as a singer, I've done quite a few. Um, so then I had the opportunity to do a couple of off-Broadway, off-Broadway off plays. Brother uh, uh, Hubbard, I think one, one of them was called. And I did another one there. Oh, oh, um, oh, funerals. Oh, God, oh, my God, what is the name of that one? Sorry, I'm getting it all mixed up. In the UK, I did Dancing in the Street with Edwin Starr and Martha Reeves. But in Sweden, I did another one, uh, Supreme Soul, I think it was called. And I was there for about three months. But I also did something that was a musical, I, I, and I'm very proud to say I was a part of that, uh, the Vagina Monologues. Mm -hmm. And that was great. I did that in Detroit, Michigan at the Opera House. And it was a wonderful experience in that uh, I, the part I played, there were many different roles and, and, and each uh, artist, uh, female, would, would uh, speak on certain uh, subjects. And mine had to do with the subject of, uh, I think it was something with the, um, the cruelty against women and, 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 and the vagina, you know, in African countries where they mutilate the, the genital and all that. And it was really quite, uh, you know, a dramatic kind of piece to do. And I was very honored that they asked me to do that part. I'd love to do that again now that I think about it. Anyway, so I've done, you know, I've done different different uh, musicals, some of them not well known, but I've been sort of all my life uh, in, in, in being involved in those kind of things. My friend, I'm going to turn this so you can see this. Uh, I think I can see this picture. Where is Flo? There she is up there. Can you see Flo? Yes, okay. I can. So what I'm doing now is uh, working with the, the U.S. Stamp, uh, State Department Stamp Committee. And I'm putting together uh, a proposal for them. So I'm trying to get a, uh, a stamp, a U.S. stamp for Florence Ballard, who passed away in 1976. And uh, we have stamps, and behind me you can see one here. This is Marvin Gaye. Uh, they just issued a stamp for Marvin Gaye, a U.S. stamp. So all of your listeners, they can write in or go to the website, the U.S. Uh, Staff Committee in Washington, D.C., and, and let people know that they want to have a stamp for Florence Ballard. I really hope that that goes through. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, look at, we got stamps by John Lennon, you know, uh, we, uh, uh, Lena Horn. We have stamps by a lot of wonderful people. So, you know, I think the Supremes and Florence, I think we did a lot for women back in the 60s, you know, inspiring women. And uh, I, I think this would be a great honor, you know, for, for Flo. Thank you. <laughs> oh, there she is. There's Flo. There she is. <laughs> <laughs> so you also wrote a book called Dream Girl, My Life as a Supreme, and yes. this was your first book that you wrote. Yes. 
And so what inspired you to start writing? Uh, well, I, well I, it was a teacher, actually. My teacher, Mr. Boone, when I was in the, I was graduating from high school, and uh, I, I, I was, you know, singing. We have been singing, you know, ever since I went to high school. So uh, he said to me, Miss Wilson, I know you sing with that little group called the Supremes. He said, but if you want to, if you want to, to, to pass by class and graduate and go on tour with that group, then you better pass my English class. So, so there I said, oh my God, you know, and he's the kind of, he was the kind of teacher that every student hated to have, right? You didn't want to be in Mr. Boone's class because he would fail you. Anyway, I wrote this paper about my life up to that point because um, the thing is, I was, did not know who my mother was until I was about 10, 11 years old. My aunt and uncle raised me. I mean, I knew my mom, but I thought she was uh, uh, in a, another aunt. I didn't know she was my mom. And so um, when I was uh, 10, I think it was, uh, I'm, I moved with my mother and my two brothers and my brother and my sister. And I found out, you know, that I had this other family. And I was, I was, just, hor I was just horrified because I, mean, I was taken from my family, from my life that I knew since I was a, a little baby. And anyway, I wrote about that. And I wrote about how parents can be so cruel and they can lie and this and that. And, that. and so Mr. Bruce and Ms. Wilson, he says, this paper is brilliant. He says, I think you should become a writer. I'm like, oh, all I want to do is go down to Motown and record, honey. That's all I want to do. Of course, I didn't tell him that. And so he passed me and he gave me this AAA. And that became the first chapter in my, in my book, Dream Girl, My Life is a Supreme, that you, you mentioned. And uh, so it was at that point that I started keeping a journal and I, and I started keeping my writing in my diary every minute what was going on at Motown because there was so much going on. You know, uh, the, you know Marvin Gaye, uh, the miracles, you know, I mean, all these, Stevie Wonder, we were meeting all these people. So I started keep writing about it. And that really was how I actually started, you know, writing my book. So I, I wrote Dream Girl. My second one was Supreme Faith, Someday We'll Be Together. And uh, now I have a new one out now called uh, Supreme Glamour. It's all about the Supreme uh, gown, sorry. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that's how I started. It was all because I kept all those diaries, you know, and, and Mr. Boone. So I tell my students, because I do a lot of master classes around the world, listen to your teachers because they can, you know, really inspire you. And listen to, you know, listen just... You may not want to do everything right now that you hear about the parents tell you or the adults tell you about. But as I tell my son, someday you might remember, you know what, mom, that's what mom was talking about. Oh, okay. You know, just let it stay in there. There you go. <laughs> so Dream Girls, the Broadway musical and the film, was that adapted from the Supremes? Well, you know, here's, here's my thought on that. And that is, we were very famous uh, during the time, during that time. And I, I believe the writers uh, were influenced by our career and they wanted to write a story about, you know, singers and girls and things like that. And of course, what, what uh, better people to use than someone who's popular as the Supremes. So it was based on us. However, uh, you know, I'm told because I'm very good friends with Shirley Ralph and the people who the, girl, the ladies who were in the play, and they said, no, girl, we went to our workshop, and we worked this out, we worked that, but I think the original idea, yes, came from the Supremes, 
I mean, you, you can pinpoint so many different events that uh, were in the movie that we, the Supremes, had. You know, you can do it page by page by page in my book. Okay, but uh, I, as I tell my audience, uh, it could not have been about us because I didn't get paid. Okay, they didn't pay me for that that, that uh, theatrical thing. But it was still beautiful. It was a beautiful project because it was based on us. And I'm, and, you know, I'm going to stick to that. That's my story. Okay, Cheryl. I'll stick to that too then. <laughs> and, you know, and we're all good friends, you know, and we're really good yeah. friends. So, you know, that things happen like that. So the last thing I really wanted to talk to you about was your time on Dancing with the Stars. I have watched many seasons of the show and I would love to hear about your experience on the show. Were the rehearsals really as strenuous as they make it seem? Well, you know, it, it's okay because as, as a Supreme back in the 60s, we had artist development and we had teachers there. We had choreographers uh, who taught us all our choreography. Uh, uh, Mrs. Powell, who taught us uh, the etiquettes and, and things of that nature. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm accustomed to the, the schedule and it was, it was all day. We would go in all day and work with our coach. I had a wonderful coach, Branson. Let me see if I have his picture up there, but I can't show it to you. Maybe I can grab it. And he was just the best coach in the world. So it was a long schedule, yeah, but I loved it. I mean, because I've always enjoyed, to, if you look at some of those clips on YouTube, you'll see the Supremes and all of our choreography. We always did that. Um, it was not hard at all, but I actually enjoyed being on the show. I enjoyed learning dances uh, like, you know, the waltz and the tango and, and all those kind of things. So it was fun. I really, I would have loved to have been on a lot longer, but you know, it's, it's television, it's politics, it's whatever it is. And that's kind of, you have to deal with that, but I enjoyed it totally. Yeah. And they, and they were, you know what, they were all very wonderful to me. I mean, all the other uh, coaches and all the other dancers. In fact, I'm such good friends now with Allie Brooks. She and I are like wow. really close. Yeah, we be, she calls wow. me she calls me Queen Mary and I call her my little princess. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So how did you feel like your nerves and expectations going into a Dancing with the Stars performance differed from performances that you're more used to? Um, um, it's hard to say because, um, you know, I think any entertainer, I don't, don't, don't believe, you know, you don't just walk up there and just think everything is okay and people are going to love you. I think in, every entertainer has this moment before they go on and like, okay, I hope, you know, everything is okay. I hope I sound, I hope I, hope I don't lose my voice, you know, I, I hope everything, hope my hair is right, you know, uh, my fly's not open way for guys, I say that, but I mean, you know, girl, you say, I hope my eyelashes doesn't come off, you know, <laughs> all those, you have all those little things, oh, sorry, this is my hair. You have all those things happening and, uh, you know, there's a little whatever, but I used to go to the toilet and the TT and then I go on stage and I'm fine. You know, once you're up there, the nerves are gone. For Dancing with the Stars, uh, I had the same type of things, you know, concerned about, okay, I hope I don't forget this because you only have a week to learn uh, the steps to whatever you're doing. So, you know, it, the concern of not forgetting it. Whereas when I was with the Supremes back in the day, we would, you know, we would learn, we would uh, come off the road, we'd have maybe two hours to, to rehearse with the choreographer, and then we'd go into the studio record. So you didn't have that concern about, you know, forgetting something. Uh, and then you do it on stage. And so, you know, you, you do that every day. By the time you do it the three times, you go it backwards and forwards. On dancing, however, you had to actually, you know, learn it 
in a week, get right on TV in front of millions of people and, you know, hope you don't mess up. <laughs> so, you know, that, it, but it's, it's all part of the business and it's, it's okay. You know, if you forget something, you forget. And the coaches were great because they would tell you, people didn't know this who were looking at TV, you some inside secret. It, it, they would tell you every single move as you're doing it. So they're talking to you as you're, as you're doing all your moves. They say, okay, we're doing the da-da-da next and the da-da-da-da. So you have all that going on. Uh, which is really great, yeah. So it's not as it's not like when we're performing on stage and you just you know gotta memorize everything and you just do it yourself. It's all up in here, you know. <laughs> You're the only ones up in your ear, but you. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. But I loved watching you on that show, and I actually I just watched rewatched the clips today. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. So, what's your social media? How can people follow you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram. I'm on all that. Uh, in fact, um, what, what I have going on right now? Yeah, you can find everything on me. I, I mean, sometimes I'm on, but I'm not on all the time by myself. I have someone at, at Universal who helps me out uh, in terms of on a day-to-day -day thing. But when I have something going on, like the girl groups uh, uh, situation on, on Sirius XM this week, I do that kind of myself, you know, because I, I get a little fun. But uh, th that's what I have. I, if there's, there's, oh, I also have Cameo. Hey, and, and, and people, yeah, people call me, they say, my, my boyfriend is having his birthday, can you sing to me? And you know, uh, uh, Congressman James Clyburn's 80th birthday is tomorrow, so I sent uh, a video to him, like uh, Marilyn Monroe did to President Kennedy, Kennedy, I said, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Congressman James Clyburn. A happy birthday to you. Yeah! And so oh that's my goodness. <laughs> see, now everyone got to see your cameo, and now everyone knows what to expect. So. Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, well, that is a perfect note to end on. I am just so honored that I got to speak to, again, such a legend as yourself. Thank you. Okay. okay bye, Mary. All right, Lawrence, bye-bye. God bless. Thank you for listening to On Air with Legacy Theatre. And thank you to Brad Ross for the theme music. You can follow us at LegacyTheatreCT.org.